Laurent Lecal has a background in the luxury industry, but he began his career in fine watchmaking in 2010. And as of January 1st, 2021, he is the managing director of the watch division at Montblanc. I'm very happy to have you here, Laurent. Yes, thank you. Very happy to be with you today. As always, we start with a little wrist check, as we call it, to, to tell our listeners what watch we are wearing. So perhaps you can share which watch you picked today. So today I don't have a, any watch on my wrist. I have a book on my wrist. <laughs> I explained you what I mean. Because uh, on my timepiece, you have two chapters, chapter one and chapter two. And uh, chapter one is... Um, you should see it. <laughs> it's difficult to describe. Um, if you allow me, I would like to start with a history behind. And then I can explain to you what is chapter one and what is chapter two. Yeah, of course. Because this, this piece has been developed um, with um, Reinhold Messner together. Reinhold Messner is uh, the most famous climber in the world. Uh, as you probably know, in uh, 1978, with his friend uh, Peter Abler together, he climbed the highest peak in the world uh, without the use of supplemental oxygen. And he did it again two years later in 1980, alone at that time. And um, he was the first to climb the 14 highest mountains in the world, over 8,000 meters. And uh, later he decided to stop climbing, which is quite surprising for such a climber. <laughs> and he decided to discover the world another way, trekking. Okay. And that's very interesting. Wow. Because this is what I explained to you today. In 2004, Reinhold Messner decided to cross the Gobi Desert. The Gobi Desert is 1,600 kilometers long and 800 kilometers wide. And he did it alone in five weeks' time. Wow. And that's very incredible because for him it was a very new experience. And he said that compared to the Everest, it was much more complicated for him much more, much harder. And uh, when I had the chance to, to be with him, I asked him, but tell me why is it harder? Because for me, it looks, I mean, more, much more difficult to climb the Everest and especially without the use of any supplemental oxygen than being in the desert. And he told me, yes, but when I am at the top of the world, I know exactly how much time is needed to go back to the uh, base camp. I know exactly how many people will wait for me. I know exactly what I will eat and everything. But yeah. when I am alone in the desert, I have no idea what will happen to me in the next few hours, in the next two, three or four days. And he said that's why precisely for, for that reason, it was extremely difficult to cross this desert. And the point is the following. The watch I have on my wrist, so the book I will explain to you today has only two chapters. Chapter one is the face of the timepiece. The face of the timepiece explains to you exactly what he has experienced in this desert in terms of colors. 
which means that the dial, the, the bezel, and even the strap, by the way, and the bronze case, all these colors are not here by chance. They are connected to the experience of Reinhold Messner crossing the Gobi Desert. It means the colors of the stones, the color of the sand. And depending on the time of the day, all these colors are on the dial, on the bezel, and even the strap will remind you of these colors. That's why it's chapter one, because it's something absolutely unique. It tells you a story. The one of Reinhold Messner in 2004, crossing the Gobi Desert for the first time, located between Mongolia and China. So not yeah. easy. Chapter two, easy. You just go to the next page or you just observe the case back. And chapter two is something completely amazing and new in the watchmaking industry. For the first time, we have managed by Mont Blanc to create the landscape of a region that has been crossed by uh, Reinhold Messner, which is the fl famous Fleming Cliffs, mm -hmm. the region in the Gobi Desert, famous one. And uh, it looks like a photograph, but it's not. Everything you see on the case back, I insist, everything you see, it means the depths, the contour, the colors. Everything has been created using a laser technology. It means that we use only a laser with the case on the case back, but the case back could not be in bronze as the case is. It has to be in titanium. Why? Because this technology works only with titanium, so on titanium. We did, we try, we try it on the steel, on the bronze, on the gold. It's not working at all. You can never have such a rendu, mm -hmm. such contour, such a, a, a colors and so on. And the laser on the case back in titanium will make it possible to create everything. But everything depends on the distance between the laser and the case back. How much time you will um, you will use it, and of course the intensity. So it means we have to use it many many times in advance to make a lot of tests before being able to create the right landscape with the right colors, the right contour, and the right depths. That's why it's completely unique, and that's what I love. This is the nature. The nature plays a role in this technology. How we are managing to create on the case pack only the rainbow colors. It means it is impossible to create any other color than the existing rainbow ones. That's why I told you, it's not a timepiece, it's a book, and you have only two chapters. Chapter one, about the colors, the feeling being in this desert, mm. and chapter two, the new technology invented by Mont Blanc for the case pack. And reminding, of course, once again, of the crossing of the Gobi Desert by Reinhold Messner in yeah. 2004. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that watch is beautiful. We, we had it in the office and we, we described it on, uh, on Fratello. And uh, to our listeners, if you want to see the watch, then go to the Mont Blanc website or go to Fratello. Um, we covered the watch uh, in detail and our photographer made some, some awesome images and you can see, actually, we used the case back as the, as the header image because it's really, really stunning. And, uh, if I looked in the comments of the article from our, from our readers, um, some even prefer to wear the watch upside down because it's, it looks so beautiful. <laughs> I think you can wear it both ways, perhaps, but it, yeah, it, it really looks interesting and, um, the colors are really nice. And, um, uh, the, 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 the first book or book one, the, the, the face of the watch or the dial, 
Um, it has a lot of brown tones and the combination with bronze and brown is, is fantastic. And um, yeah, the background, uh, yeah, adds some depth to it because I also uh, see there uh, uh, quite an interesting blue sky above the desert. So yeah, it's really, really Absolutely. nicely done. So uh, Yes, and it's limited edition and we have a complication that yeah. nobody has in this industry. Yeah. The complication is... Could be the chapter two, chapter three, I would say. It's another chapter <laughs> to explain. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yes. it's it's stunning, and uh, with the hemisphere and the, the turning discs, it really looks beautiful, and uh, it's a piece of art on the wrist, basically. So, yeah, that's a really good choice for today, I would say. <laughs> um, and, and for this podcast, um, I don't have a Mont Blanc uh, watch, but I can uh, reassure you that uh, to take notes. I have my new uh, Mont Blanc pen. It's a different, ah, div- I see. Yes. A different division, <laughs> I know. Um, I also collect uh, fountain pens, so I have my share of Mont Blanc uh, uh, pens. Um, instead, for my watch, I chose something from an independent small watchmaker from Greece. It's uh, uh, mm. a guy, uh, Jacob, he came up with his, uh, his own brand, uh, Janos, and he came up with a diving watch. It's a beautiful watch. I met the guy a few years ago in, uh, during Basel World, and he showed me a prototype, and I was smitten by it. And uh, afterwards, he released the watch, and uh, yeah, I got one, and it's really, really nice. Um, and it, I thought it's a, I don't have a Mont Blanc watch, but at least it fits with my blue Mont Blanc pen and my blue Mont Blanc notebook. So that's why I'm <laughs> <Okay. laughs> at least uh, color correct uh, uh, today. And your blue uh, shirt of the day. And my blue shirt, yes. The listeners yes. Uh, can't yeah. see it, but you can indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was one of my uh, my favorite colors. Um, as said, you have your uh, uh, background in the luxury industry. And since 2010, mm-hmm. if I'm correct, uh, in fine watchmaking. Can you tell us uh, a bit more about your professional background? Yes, I, I started before in the watchmaking industry. But uh, you're right. So since 2010, as a, an entrepreneur, because I developed my own uh, watch business. Yeah. And um, I um, <clears throat> I studied in uh, in France and in Germany. Yeah. I speak four, four languages: French, English, German, and uh, Russian. And I oh. learned everything on my on my own. Wow. Which means, for example, for, for Russian, you know, I'm long term, so I love long term. So Russian, I can share with you a, <laughs> a nice story. A few years ago, I was with a. It was 11 years ago. I was with a few friends in Paris. And uh, we just entered the, the shop, and in this in this uh, store, we found some books about how to learn uh, a new language. And all my friends decided to learn so Chinese or German, and they said to start learning uh, Russian. And uh, they all told me in two years' time I would speak perfectly uh, Chinese and or German. And I told them in ten years' time I would perfectly uh, speak Russian. And they all say ten years, forget it, it's too long. Nobody will wait. Ten years later, I speak fluently Russian, and I don't speak either uh, Russian, um, German, or Chinese. You know why? Because the secret is not if you are good or not at learning something. It means it's like sports. Uh, what is important when you run 42 kilometers, it's not being the first. It's just uh, to keep the pace, the same pace in the end. And um, I don't consider myself as being gifted for learning something new, especially. I'm like... Any, 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 uh, anyone else? But I think that if you believe in something, and uh, if you are based on the long term, then everything is possible. And ten years at the end, it's nothing. I can tell you today. I have the feeling it was yesterday. So it, it was in, in, into brackets. But it means this is how I see life. We should always start with something, and even if you don't know where it will bring you to, you should start. And uh, that's how I see the world. Um, 
And I'm very, very happy to speak to speak Russian, I have to say. It helps me a lot, not only for the business, but even for traveling for many things. Um, so yes, I um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pure uh, product from France because it means I, I had a class preparatoire, preparatory class, then also I entered into the business school. Um, then I got a degree in Germany, uh, in German. Um, then so I got a degree from the GIA in the United States for the for the stones and the gold and material and so yeah. on. Then I started working for the LVMH group. And then with Michel Jordi in Switzerland. Michel Jordi was very famous a few years ago as a watchmaker. Um, and um, step by step, uh, I decided uh, to develop my own watch company. Yeah. And it was in 2010. I launched this company from, from scratch, from zero, with my double cousin together. And uh, one year and a half later, we had the manufacturer. And uh, when I left the company, it was uh, four years later, after the, uh, the beginning, the company had more than 70 employees and uh, we produced a lot of uh, uh, movements uh, for the OnWatch brand, but for a lot of external companies as well. So then I just joined the Boucher Group as the board member yeah. and the vice president for sales uh, and CEO for Japan for almost seven years. And then I've been contacted by the Richmond Group uh, to take the uh, to have the responsibility of the uh, Mont Blanc uh, watch division, so with the support of uh, Nicolas Baretsky, who is my uh, uh, the global CEO for for Mont Blanc. Okay. So short, short, shortly. Yes. Well, that's very impressive. Um, it's interesting that you that you that you have this uh, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, it also often means if you're an entrepreneur, uh, I also consider myself one as I'm a co-owner of, of, of Fortello for uh, many years now. Um, I know, your name is famous in this industry. That I don't I know. But what, what, is the, it is. what is the most important mistake that you made as an entrepreneur that you, and that of which you could use the experience in your life at uh well, Mont Blanc is very short, but uh, at, at the other companies, what's a very important mistake that you made that you that was really an eye-opener for you? Uh, Because it's think, always nice to discuss uh, successes, but I think learning from mistakes is, I think, very interesting. Yes, something I learned is it's impossible to do everything alone. That's something I learned. Yeah. Because when you create your, when you launch your company, And uh, when you have to do uh, sales, marketing, uh, press kit, uh, communication, logistics, uh, cleaning your office, um, paying the taxes, everything. So it's, it takes a lot of time and you cannot focus on the key points you should focus on for developing your, your business. So when I, I remember I was working 15, 16, 7 hours a day. To be honest with you, I didn't remember this, but my wife told me <laughs> when we when we speak together, I said, hey, at that time we were working up to 17 hours a day and seven days a week. It was yeah. not, uh, there were no holiday or nothing. I think it's something positive because you love what you are doing. You want to be successful, not for yourself, but you want to satisfy the customers you are um, you are in contact with. And I will tell you something, most of the key customers I had from that time are very good friends of mine. And uh, we are all in contact together. So it means something has been created. And, um, but I lost a lot of energy 
Luckily, I'm very, um, I run a lot. So I'm a big runner, marathon, trail, ultra trail. I need it. And it helped me a lot because sometimes I was very, very close to the point de non-retour, we say in, in, uh, yeah, yeah. in French. It, it means it was very, very difficult for me. And without the sports, I think it would never have been possible for me to achieve this. I have to be honest. So okay. I learned from, from this mistake. And, um, but at the same time, this, I don't believe the word mistake for me has no meaning. Mm-hmm. I think it's only an experience and it all depends how you will use this experience. And then it will be a mistake or an asset, depending how you will use the experience coming to you. And for me, it's not a mistake. It was an experience. I learned from this. It's positive because now I know exactly how much time is needed to create a flyer. I know how much time, so what is a carniata, how much mm-hmm. time you need uh, to deliver a croco strap to any place in the world. So yeah. all these types of things I know I learned. And uh, I know exactly what my team can do, what I cannot do if time is needed and so on. And when there is an, is- an issue and logistics, marketing, salespeople come to me and ask me because they know that I did it. So I know how to manage it. Yeah. So at the end, this mistake was something, uh, it was necessary to be where I am uh, today. So this yeah. is how I see the things. Once again, it's a long term. So I, I, at this time, we can say it's a mistake because you should work less. But many years later, you can say it was an asset because now it makes it possible for me to have a wider understanding of the watch industry. Yeah. Of course, I know that I know nothing. It means that every day I learn something new and 100% and I will never say I know a lot of things. But I learned a lot from my previous experiences. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And, uh, yeah. And the other point is I started from zero and something I don't recommend to do is um, going to, the, to your banker to have a credit for a luxury car to finance your, <laughs> your, your, your company. <laughs> yeah. When the banker refuses to give the money to you for your, for your company. No, I'm joking. What I mean is, is I, I, I went to the, I got, I uh, received the credits and uh, I was not using money from, from my family or from, from, mm-hmm. from friends. At the beginning, before starting with an external partner, I developed everything with debt and credits. So, and that's something that's a good, it's a mistake and it's a good experience at the same time because when you wake up in the morning, you have to. It means not possible to stay in your bed. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. And you have no choice. Yeah. And this energy is still in me today. It's like a beast inside. And I can tell you, I have such an amazing energy here by Mont Blanc. And this energy is coming from the time, 100%. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. It's uh, very uh, insightful. Um, so you, you have been in the in the watch industry for for quite a while. Um, what I always find interesting is that um, I've been collecting watches since the, the, the late 90s. And uh, as I said, I started for Tello in 2004. And I clearly see a difference with in the uh, watch industry today and back then. Um, so you must see the same, basically. So According to you, what is the difference between the watch industry as it is today and when you started? I will share with you another anecdote. Um, I remember when I started working in the watch industry, I had no idea what industry. And uh, the uh, CEO of the company I was working for, he told me, okay, now you will go to Singapore and you have to sell watches for 70,000 euros each. I said, okay, <laughs> we tried. And uh, it was a good time in 2004, 2005. I went to I fly to Singapore. I spent two three days there, and I sold uh, the first time twenty four pieces at seventy thousand euros each. I will never 
never forget this. <laughs> when I was back start. in Switzerland, I said, wow, it's, a, it's amazing business. It's so easy business. Yeah. Now, 16 years later, if you try to go to Singapore and say, I, w- I would like to sell 25 pieces in no time, uh, it's, an- it's another story. I think so. The world has changed. Um, the beginning of the years 2000, you had a lot of people in Russia, in Singapore, with um, they wanted to buy something new, and sometimes they didn't pay attention to brand name. It was just because it was a wow. And then the, they learned and they say, okay, I have to, to analyze, I have to take my time. Another example is, um, I remember 2004, one customer said, oh, I love this watch. It was only on the paper. He said, I want to give you now done payment. I want to be the first one to receive it. Very expensive one. And now, today, people are waiting for the final uh, prototype. They analyze it, they take time, and they will ask a lot of questions about the product, the watchmakers behind the story, storytelling, how you are differentiating so from the other brands, and what is the and they will analyze the perceived value, and so on. So it's completely different. But at the same time, it's normal. And I prefer this one. Because it means that um, we cannot create something for creating something. We just create something based on a true storytelling, on differentiation, on perceived value. And I focus a lot on the emotional parts for the watches. And that's why I think today is better on my point of view, even if it's, uh, it was so easy <laughs> 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. But now it's much better because you can build something in the long term. Yeah. Yes. That's my, yeah. my point of view. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, I can see that as well. That's uh, having a proper story is uh, very important. And in the end, it's an emotional pro- product, uh, a watch. I, I don't even like to use the word product for watches um, because it, it, it yeah, takes the emotion out of the, out of the watch, basically. Absolutely. Um, so talking about uh, uh, Mont Blanc, um, it's not only uh, a watch brand, it's, it's a luxury brand, basically. Um, as I said, I am, I'm holding a Mont Blanc pen in my hand. Um, so you do more than only watches. And can you explain to us what the difference is between being a luxury brand and solely a watch brand? Are there extra challenges or is it easier to be a watch brand as part of a luxury brand? When you say luxury, it means the end customers have expectations. Mm-hmm. The word luxury means expectation. I would like to share with you another anecdote. When I was 28 years old, I was in South of France and uh, I felt in love with the women, but with a painting. And uh, this painting was absolutely amazing for me. I cannot explain. The first, so when I saw it for the first time, I immediately knew it was a painting for me. And um, I just entered the store, went to the store manager, and exp- I said, I want to buy this. He said, Ooh, but it's quite expensive. It's a, it's a luxury painting, luxury one. I said, how much is it? It was quite expensive. I said, okay, I cannot afford it. But I would like to buy it for my 30th birthday. And I told him it's now I have 18 or 19 months till my birthday. So I will like, give done payments. You keep it, please. You just, uh, re- uh, I don't want it to see on, on the wall anymore. You just keep it. I give you 30%. And then for my birthday, I will be back. And uh, 19 months later, I was back. And the store manager was still there. And he said, I was waiting for you. I'm not joking. And I gave the money in cash to him. It means mm-hmm. the money I, I just collected in the last months yeah. to pay. 
I never asked about discount because for me, it was so perfect. It was so extraordinary painting with a lot of emotion. I wanted to pay the right price for this. And um, now it was, I was 30 and I'm 44. 14 years later, when I wake up in the morning, I can tell you, I observe this painting and something is happening 14 years later. So this is what luxury is. And uh, this is what a watch brand is not. So luxury brings something, something very strong in terms of emotion. And uh, it should be a pleasure for, forever. We say uh, beauty is a joy forever. Luxury is a joy forever as well. Or it should be at least. And don't forget what uh, Dostoevsky said in Russia. You know, I love Russia. <laughs> it's going to But he said, Krasata spasyot the beauty will save the world and luxury is the beauty and luxury watch brand will always bring something new to the world of watchmaking. That's how I perceive luxury. I give you an example. Minerva, Mont Blanc, it's the same. Huh? And uh, we have this beautiful manufacturer in Villa. When you observe a movement made by hand here in Villa, then you know what luxury is. So, of course, you say it's easy for you. You are the head of the watch, um, Mont Blanc watch division, so it's easy. It's, it's like communication, so speech, it's not. It's not because Minerva, Villeray, and with Mont Blanc together, it's something very unique. Tell you why. When I was in Japan, working in Japan, I learned something. Japanese people can leave, can stay. 30, 35, 40 years working for the same company on average. And uh, this is something only existing in Japan. For that reason, this is number one worldwide in terms of family businesses. And um, I asked a lot of questions when I was in Japan to this entrepreneur, to these family businesses to understand how it's possible to be durable, how it's possible to... Uh, to, to be here for a few hundred years or sometimes more than thousand years. The oldest business uh, in the world is the same business since 1,318 years. It's a Ryoko. So hotel. Um, and, you know, um, and that's unique. And here, when I am in Villeray, I have the same feeling. The oldest watchmaker, one watchmaker was working for the company 58 years. 58 years. And I just investigated because I was so impressive. Wow. And what about his family? Oh, by the way, Laurent, his father was working for the same company as well, 42 years. Together, they reached 100 years working for our company. And the company was made in 1858. So it means that, wow. When I speak to my, to my team, to my watchmakers on average, working for 10, 15 years. One of them working on the right track of the movement, something not existing anymore in Switzerland, by the way, huh? doing this by hand. Yeah. She's working for the company for more than 20 years. And in front of me, so I have to say now on my left, I have something or someone, I should say, working for the company since 1858. What is it? Who is she? Mother Nature. Since 1858, we have in front of us two mountains with a V shape. 
These mountains have an amazing influence on everything we develop here at the Villeray. If you observe the Villeray movement, you will see the famous V-shaped bridge on the back of the movement. Something that's like a signature, something that nobody, you cannot compare to any existing brand. It's our sign. It's our mm -hmm. signature. And this V-shaped bridge officially has been protected, designed in 1912. And officially it has been developed because of the chronograph complications so on the other side. Huh? So it means on the dial yeah. with the, the hands also and the counter also at the center and at three o'clock. But now when I observe these two mountains in the V-shape, I can tell you the angle is the same as the one we have on the movements. So, so that's something incredible, you know? And this is what luxury is. Luxury, this is bringing something unique. Even if you would like to invest millions of euros, you could not develop it. And these two mountains with a V-shape influencing the V-shape bridge of our movement could influence it. Something important about luxury as well. Observe the Villeray, the Villeray movements we have. We'll observe the frequency, 18,000. How many companies do have this frequency today? Yeah. We are the last one, I think, in Switzerland. Because this is a tradition, the savoir-faire. Observe the, the, the German silver. How many companies are still working with German silver? It was the case 100 years ago. Now they're all, most of all, they stopped it. It's expensive, it's hard to work on and so on. We use it. It's an amazing quality and we take time because yeah. luxury requires time as well. And I can explain to you a lot of things. Everything is handmade. Sometimes we assemble the movement, we did assemble the, the movement to reassemble them once again. And all of this, this is so unique. Nobody has. I mean, I cannot find any company working this way. So that's what luxury is. And now to give you a clear answer to your question, what is the difference between luxury watch company and a solid watch brand? I explained to you, this is the emotional part generated by real luxury. Yeah. Yeah. On my well, amazing story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing story. Um, so talking about Mont Blanc and Minerva, I know Minerva from yeah. the past, from uh, um, when it was still a, a, a different company. Um, And you explain it very well. It's very interesting to, to hear you talking about uh, uh, Mont Blanc and Minerva in, in Villeray. Um, but I wonder if this combination of Mont Blanc and Minerva, is it, meanwhile, is it clear to the customer, to the actual watch enthusiasts, what this combination is about? So first of all, if it's not, it will be, and I will never give up. So when I start something, <laughs> I never give up. I can tell you. I started yeah. from nothing. I started, I, even my... My, my, uh, when I was a student, I paid with the, with, the, with the credits. So if I start something, I go to the end. I will fight for this. Very cool. I will fight because I want people to know that Mont Blanc is an amazing manufacturer. Yeah. And that this manufacturer cannot compare to any existing manufacturer. That's why we invite people to visit the manufacturer in Villeray. We want people to come and observe. We want people to ask questions. And even now, I'm developing something very special I cannot share, but the watchmakers will be much more involved with the end customers. I want people to be mixed. I want my end customers to come and speak with the watchmakers who will assemble the watches. There are, I don't want two worlds. It's one world. We're all living on earth. So it means that I want people to ask the questions to the right watchmaker. I want the right watchmaker to know that the watch he has produced, he has assembled, is worn by this lady, by this man, and they can speak together. So we are changing 
this, I think, hopefully in a, in a positive way. And yeah. So that's a very personal approach, basically, to your customers. It's like all, almost like a, a custom thing. Or do, if I understand it correctly, that, that, that they can talk to the watchmaker that, that either made their watch or will make their watch. Yeah, I give you, uh, it's something, of course, we can do it for everybody, but it's something we do. And uh, if you like this idea, you will love what is coming next, believe me. Oh, so now nice. I, uh, I got an idea at something uh, I observed in the last years that's never been developed in this industry, will be uh, implemented next year from April 1st. Okay. And with my, with my team together, and we'll surprise you even much more, hopefully. hopefully. Very cool. And, uh, but for me, very clearly, Mont Blanc is Minerva and uh, Minerva is Mont Blanc. It means that it's only one company. Yeah. And uh, when I observe the watchmaker from the high-end watchmaking, they are assembling uh, so watches from the entry, for entry price as well, but using the same savoir-faire for the finishing. Yeah. So it means that even at the entry price, you have people, you have watchmakers, extremely gifted watchmakers working on these pieces. So you see, it's only it's it's one company, and I would like because I understand what is behind your question. It means people say, okay, well, you have Mont Blanc, uh, two thousand, five thousand, eight thousand euros, and then you have Villeray, uh, thirty, forty, hundred, uh, twenty. Exactly, you have to explain, I guess, if you have absolutely these steps. no, yeah. I understand, and and this is I, I would ask the same question, hundred percent. But if I'm here, it means for me it sounds logical. I would like to share with you another anecdote. Um, when I was 15 years old, I received from my father a watch. I'm not allowed to mention any watch <laughs> brand names. <laughs> I cannot do it. But it's not an expensive one. But today, I would tell I was 15 years old. And today, uh, 29 years later, I can tell you something. This watch has amazing meaning for me. And the cost was about a few hundred euros. And when my father came back to me a few years ago and said, okay, Laurent, I would like to offer you and the watch, the luxury timepiece to congratulate you for the different things you have done. I said, I don't need it because the one I would like to have is the one you offered when I was 15 years old. He said, yes, but it does not exist for luxury. I said, I regret it because for me, it was the beginning of a story. Yeah. But this is what, what Mont Blanc is. You could start at Mont Blanc at 1,500, 600 uh, euros. You can find a Mont Blanc with a Geosphere one for 6,000 euros. You can find a Nicolas Riesec for 8,000 euros. You'll have the world timer who have manufacturer movement at 6,500 euros. You can go to Villeray, to Minerva. And in that case, we have, usually we start at 30, but we have for 1,850, uh, for example, this year with a new Pythagore one, small second, but usually we start at 30, 40. We have, uh, I, I was with, with customers in the last days um, and we are discussing for watches over 250,000 euros. Wow. So, but I will tell you something, some collectors we have, and I, I spoke to one collector in Japan last year, last, last week, sorry, because I would like to know, I speak every week with collectors, with clients to see how I can improve the service they have, to see um, if something is missing. I want to understand, I want to share with them. And one of them, he shared with me so his collection online. Yeah. And believe me or not, but it started at 2,000 euros. And the last one was 40, so 38 or 40,000 euros. And that's something incredible. And he said, my son, sometimes so it, it takes so a few of my watches, that one or that one, and he loves it. So it means if you collect and you love the brand, 
you see, you love, you need different types of watches. Yeah. And Montblanc is one of the very few brands in Switzerland offering this range. Yeah. Yeah. With a very strong manufacturer behind once again. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So you were also saying that there are um, uh, quite a few um, mono brand collectors that are only collecting Montblanc or Minerva watches. Uh, we have, we have because um, I give you an example: the Geosphere for mm -hmm. six thousand. Huh? I have here, so I met in, in Switzerland one collector, and he has all Geospheres since 2018. The first one that has been launched, he bought all of them. And he was asking me for a very specific one, a Messner one, limited to 262 pieces in gold. Yeah. And he said, this is the only one I cannot have. And uh, we found a way and he, he, now he, he said he will buy this watch. So that's what I like. It means you have people collecting the Geosphere. He said, I love this. Yeah. He has other brands. He collects a famous names and he has all the Geosphere from Mont Blanc. Nice. And yeah, all cool. the people... Other people they collect six or seven pieces sometimes from from uh, ex Minervas from from Villeret. Yeah, and they're asking me about what is coming next. That's nice. interesting. We we have this population as well. Yeah, nice, interesting. Yeah, it's good. I think it's good as a, for a brand to have a fan base. I think having fans, I think, is very important. It drives the brands. And um, um, but the fan is dangerous. It's it, that's why I like it. It's very dangerous. The end customer, it's easy. He will buy watch. Yeah. But the fan, he will come back. Yeah. He will observe. He will give his feedback. He belongs to the 1% of your buyers who can uh, develop or kill the brand online. Yeah. No, that's absolutely so true. We, we, <laughs> and that's a challenge. That's yeah. a challenge. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. In very interesting. Um, when I, uh, I when I hear you talking about uh, about watches, you, you're obviously very very passionate. So I want to take it uh, perhaps a bit more personal. Um, what for you is the most important thing in a watch when it comes to your personal choices? What makes it that you want to buy uh, a watch? Uh, for me personally, I want to know the story behind. Yeah. It, the story it means the, um, it could be storytelling, but it has to be a real one, not a fake one or created one for yeah. this time piece only, something yeah. real. And uh, I want to feel the emotion. This is the point. This is the point. And there is a way to do it. So we are working on it. <laughs> <laughs> we have developed it. There is a way to do it, really. Yeah. And, um, and the first thing we have to do is uh, we have to be close to the end customers. For example, I love being with end customers. I spend a lot of time with them in the boutique uh, during exhibitions, events. They contact me, have my private email. If there is any issue, um, they have any question, they can contact me. I want to know what they like, uh, which issue they are facing, uh, what they like at the most uh, by Montblanc, by Villeray, this point. And this is how we can generate the emotion. Because if you want, I, I give you an example. If you want, this is your first rendezvous with the women. Okay, let's take uh, Swiss women. It, it's easier than uh, other ones. Swiss For you, women. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, no, because it's a lot of it's, it's with, my example is with nature. And uh, let's say if you come with flowers for the for the first meeting, mm -hmm. something would be developed. Say, oh, pays attention to me, and and so on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you cannot come and just go to the restaurant and hoping that uh, you will be together. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to understand which types of flowers she likes, which color she likes, and so on. 
And uh, the watchmaking industry should be working the same way. It means that we have to know the customers. We have to know our roots, where we are coming from, and how can we combine the roots with expectations of the end customers. It means the end customers should not decide about what we are developing, and we should not push something. It should be a combination. We want to do something that have expectations. How can we meet? And it means that we have to, it's a dialogue. And it's never a brand pushing, but it's dialogue. And once you have this dialogue, you are successful. And and with who do you have this dialogue? Is it with with uh, the, the the average buyers, or is it a specific group that you use as a sounding board? Or do I have time for another anecdote? Yeah, of course. But you will like you will like it. You will like okay, it. Okay, very good. Yeah, it, it was it's a very interesting one. A few years ago, I was uh, in an exhibition at the Monte Carlo Bay uh, Hotel. We were like 20, 25 brands. It was hot. It was summertime, and I have to say, nobody came because they were all lying on the beach. But at 11 something, a child, eight years old, entered the room and he went to each uh, and every each and every booth and stopped and was asking questions about the exhibiting timepieces. All people there refused to give answers to him, or very shortly, after a few seconds, done. And then he came to me about the last booth. He came to me and asked questions about a specific timepiece, which was an expensive one, by the way, but yeah. it's, it's by chance. We spent together 45 minutes. He was the most complicated customer in my career, <laughs> I have to say. The questions he was asking uh, about the packaging, about the connection between story and products, about the size, about matter. I was complete. I was exhausted at the end, I have to say. And then he said, merci beaucoup, and he left. Everybody was, came to me and said, Laurent, good guy. Did you sell the watch? Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. You lost your time, and so on. But I just wanted to be, he had questions, and I always thought, okay, if, if my child is coming and asking questions to know something, I would like the person to give the answers. So I do the same. It's just respect, Okay. Action, reaction. I believe in this. Action, mm -hmm. reaction. And reaction came later. During <laughs> afternoon, three o'clock, the child came back with his father. I have to say, huh? he spoke French, but his father was Russian. And um, the father asked him something, and uh, it was, and the child was pointing at me. Say, what did I do? <laughs> so you never feel at ease. Say, oh, la, la. <laughs> and everybody was looking at me. All the booths say, hey, hey what, what, why? What, what is happening now? What, what, what is happening? That was the end and, of Laurent. <laughs> and the, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> and the, the father, the, he came to me and said, did you explain the watch uh, to my son? Say, uh, yes, I explained the watch. And he told me my son was so passionate about it. He explained to me, everything about the watch. I want to see it. Okay. So I gave the watch to him. Just observe the watch, put it on the wrist, say, I like it. How much? So he had 70,000 euros. It told me I buy the watch. I thought it was a joke. And the retailer, the partner who was here in the room came to me very surprised. He, get, he got pale. Say uh, yes. Say, the customer would like to buy the watch. But he doesn't want any information about the timepiece because his son has explained everything to him. And they left 
and the customers said, and the partners said, oh, good job, good job. <laughs> but I didn't do it for selling. I mean, I just want to explain because yeah. someone was asking questions to me. We left, uh, they left together and he came back and said, you are too sold. It was the only high-end tempest sold that day, that day during the exhibition. So that's what passion, long-term vision is made of. Yeah. And just be nice to people. So, sorry? <laughs> and just what? being nice to people also helps. Yeah. And yeah. Yes, but that's, that's how we should be. It's yeah. nothing extraordinary. It's not something, uh, it's not a quality I have and nobody has. It's not the case at all. Everybody has this quality. But yeah. just be patient, observe, and uh, accept the curiosity and be curious uh, on your part as well and just try to develop the dialogue once yeah. again. And yeah. this, this experience was amazing. It's still in my mind. And I can tell you that by Mont Blanc, every time I meet end customer and uh, when uh, uh, someone... Um, is entering a boutique and is asking a question. And even if he doesn't want to buy anything, we give the right answer. We take time with them. Yeah. And this positive energy will be positive at the end for the brand. I'm convinced this is yeah. how the work is working today. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, world, such, it's, it's such a nice, nice approach. And I feel that um, uh, without mentioning any other brands, but I think we all know the examples that Um, a, lo a lot of brands have become arrogant because of, of success and they don't even want to talk to their customers anymore and they, they are pushing them away um, by just not having the watches available to them. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's not luxury. That's just disrespect. And I, I, when I hear your story, I think that's very, uh, uh, it's a beautiful story that you open up to, to customers, even though you, you don't know if they will be a customer or will become a customer at some point. I think it uh, showing the passion and taking the time. I think it really pays off in the end. Being nice as well. It is. It is. And uh, once again, it's an easy uh, recipe. Huh? It's just uh, spend time with uh, other people. You have to listen to them, yeah. and uh, you have to give the right answer to the questions. But that's normal. That's how it should be. And yeah. uh, that's what what we are doing here by yeah. Mont Blanc. I can tell you, I organize meeting with many people. It means I don't speak with the head of head of marketing, head of, uh, I speak with many people. We, we had a meeting today with, with watchmaker, with, um, with an assistant, with my assistant, with the marketing. And we share together, we discuss. And we are all at the same table. I bring some idea and I want to share with them. And I say, what do you think? How would you improve it? What is good? What is bad? We discuss together. Of course, yeah. at the end, I have to take a decision. It's my job. Yeah. And I will do it. And I have many, many ideas for the, for the next years for Mont Blanc and, uh, And uh, and I end. You will see, but hopefully you will you will like it. But that's something we share. And I see the watchmakers. For example, uh, one of my customer, he received the watch and there was a small issue. Okay, and uh, he just uh, say, okay, it was back. I organized for this very small issue, a meeting with me and with the watchmaker who has developed who has assembled the watch. The customer was completely very really surprised. Wow. We spend one hour with the end customer. He is a fan. He is not a customer anymore. Yeah. We spend time together. He knows this with the watchmaker, and we have explained everything. So because he didn't know how to to use exactly the watch, now he say, "Well, it's perfect." He's happy with this, and said, "I'm a fan." Yeah. Because we gave our time together. Yeah. So with the watchmaker, with me, and he said, "I like it," and he was surprised. And I will tell you now, the brand ambassador. Is not the one who are expecting. 
he's the brand ambassador. I have two categories of brand ambassadors, except the ones for the brands, huh? globally speaking. But the two brand ambassadors, the first one is the one working for the company, the salesman, the saleswoman in the stores. They're the best ambassadors because there's the contact between the customers and the timepieces, yeah. the fans and the timepieces. And the second one is the customer will be transformed into a fan. When he's the fan, he will be the next brand ambassador. Yeah. He will bring his family, his friends, yeah. and he will recommend the piece, and he will be very positive about the brand. And that's what we want to develop. Yeah. That's why every person is important. Even for a brand uh, like Mont Blanc, doing a so very, very good and very, very big and uh, strong business, it's not like a small company, yeah. but we pay attention to each customer to transform him her into a fan. And I told to my team, we have to help people to be fans and not to stay customers. And I say, okay, give me the recipe, how you would like to do it. And we, this was the exchange of the day, for example. Very cool. I think that's a very nice approach. And um, um, I think more brands should, should work like that to try to build this, this ambassadorship out of fans of their community. And, and because that will really uh, create some appreciation for the brand, for, for the people at the brand, because as... For me, it's always a bit difficult because I'm a watch collector, but I also write about watches. So there's a bit of a, a noise I when I talk about uh, about brands or watches. But for me, is when I buy a watch, I don't only buy the watch. I also want to like the people that work at this watch brand. Exactly. It's exactly. I th- well, uh, yeah. Well, so uh, for, for, me that, for me, that's super important, but it's also yeah. sometimes very difficult to explain to people who are not working in the watch industry that you say, I want to like the people that are working there. Because if I buy a car, um, I'm also, I'm, I'm very loyal when it comes to cars. I'll always buy BMWs. Um, and there, I don't care about it. For me, it's, I like cars, but it's still a car. But with a watch, it's so personal. It's something that I wear every day on my wrist. It's close to me. I really want to like the people that work at these watch brands. And then I can buy the watch. And sometimes I can really love a watch. But if, if I don't like the people or they show disrespect or whatever to, to, to watch fans or enthusiasts or collectors, I can't buy that watch. Then it doesn't make sense for me anymore. So I really like the approach. It's very uh, also close how I look at at these things. But it's very good because you say you don't have any Mont Blanc watch. So I will tell you something. I give myself one year time to transform (laughs) you into a fan. And uh, (laughs) yes, and I want, I really, I would like to meet you. You will visit for sure. You will be in Geneva next year, end of March, beginning of April. I hope so. Yeah, I will. And I will, I will check with my team. I would like to have a meeting with you, just you and me. Yeah. And uh, I will show you how you will be transformed into a fan. Very cool. I can't Don't take wait. in a bad way. Don't take in a bad way, but I will do it. And really, so we'll contact the team to say, I really want that we meet together and we take time together. And I will show you something completely disruptive and new in this industry. Very cool. I can't wait. And I'm looking forward to meet you in the flesh. And um, Laurent, I really want to thank you for this, uh, this, this podcast. I think uh, the listeners will, uh, will love hearing uh, you talk about uh, watches uh, with, with so much passion. Um, so thank you for that. And um, yeah, can't wait May to, uh, to meet. Yeah, of course. Because I see you, you pay a lot of attention, of attention to, the, to, the, to some details and anecdotes. And I appreciate it because it means you, are, you have good hearts. Usually people are paying attention to this are people with a, with a, so based on emotion and I like it 
So I would like to share a story um, I share with my students because I, I teach at university. Mm-hmm. And there is something I learned when I was in Japan. And uh, that's an amazing story. Uh, in Kyoto, uh, you have many temples. One of them, the name is Rianji. Rianji Temple. It's a Buddhist temple. It's mm-hmm. a Zen rock garden. Inside the temple, you have a garden, 248 square meters. The first time I was there, I was mesmerized. And it still inspired the same feeling in me today. Because when you just, when you observe this garden, you sit, you observe, and you count, you say, oh, 14 stones. Each stone is about 50, 60 centimeters. And I counted, I saw 14 stones. Then I, 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 I took, a, I had my mobile and I checked Rianji Temple. So See the 15 stones. So, hmm, 15 stones. So once again, I started, started counting. So one, two, three, four, five, 14. I moved to another place along the garden, along the terrace. So 14. And then, oh, I found the 15 one. It was hidden by another one. And then I counted again and I had 14. Say, so, wow, what is happening? I spent three hours sitting. Along, so uh, in front of the garden, I just thought, okay, what is happening? The stones are not high. I count fourteen, and when I find the missing one, I lost. Uh, it means I lost sight of another. Mm-hmm. And it is my secret. It's my philosophy of life. I think it's impossible to find everything, to reach everything in life, to have all the fifteen stones together. But if you find fourteen and you fight hard to find the 15th one, then you will learn something new. But at the same time, you will lose something you learned already. So it means it's endless path. But for me, this is the philosophy. And uh, to the, um, so how we should be. Yeah. Every morning when I wake up, I, I really, I tell to myself, Laurent, where will be the 15th stone today? And I know that while looking for this 15 stone, I will learn something new, but I will forget something else. But that's how we can develop ourselves. And this simple philosophy developed around the garden in Kyoto is helping me in my everyday life. And the thing is, I try to find more information about it. And it has been developed by um, Buddhists, uh, by monks, and uh, like 500 years ago, and you have to imagine that they had no computer. No, nothing to calculate, just the head yeah. to place the stone at specific places in a 248 rectangular plot, 248 square meter rectangular plot. That's what they have managed to be. And at the end, they wanted to send us a message. And we are the next generations. We have to analyze and to understand. We know that we know nothing. We have to learn. And when we learn something new, it means we are lost sight of another stone. This is what I wanted to, to share with you because it's my everyday philosophy for the um, watch, dedicated to watchmaking industry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah. It's very, uh, very uh, interesting anecdote. And um, yeah, well, definitely I have to process it and I will get back to you uh, on on, the, on this philosophy uh, in the future. I'm very happy to. And, I, and I promise I will write to the and my team. We'll organize a meeting, you and me together, when you will be in Geneva for the uh, Watch in Monos next year. 100%. Awesome. Make me a fan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 You will. Now I have to work hard, especially with you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> Thank you. I will. I will.